Hi, welcome to the FSF Tapestry Podcast. Um, I'm joined by my colleagues, Ben and Jules. Hi, you two. Hello. Hi. And this week, uh, following the announcement of the new uh, 17 early learning goals last week, we thought we'd um, at some point tackle those. But for this podcast, to look more at the educational programmes that have been written, um, they clearly are more relevant to the earlier settings that we work with a lot of the time here at the FSF and Tapestry. So all those teachers and practitioners who are connected with children from birth to five. So we've all got to be looking at these programmes and seeing um, what's changed and whether our practice will have to change as a result. So we thought we'd focus on that for this podcast. So those brief high-level summaries that we must base our whole curriculum and provision on, um, why did they change and what were the key aims of the proposal? Yeah, and there were two key aims, um, which were to improve outcomes at age five, particularly in early language and literacy. And the other one was to reduce workload so that teachers can spend more time interacting with children in their care. And if you take those two things on their own, they're really positive aims to have. For any curriculum, we know that language and literacy, communication and language is a, is a real issue right now. And we have to work on that from birth. So having that as a, as, a, as a thing that's a highlight that hopefully is threaded through the whole curriculum is really important. And obviously, teacher workload's long been an issue. And any emphasis on moving away from kind of obsessive data collection and into knowing the children that you're working with and being able to talk freely about them um, and what their next steps will be without needing to constantly show evidence and pieces of paper and data of any kind has got to be a positive. So those are two really good aims. Absolutely. So that urban myth of having to collect three pieces of evidence for each bit, and so, I really hope that's going to go now. And this gives the, um, the, the permission to do that really, doesn't it? Yeah. And uh, that you still hear it nowadays, you know, no matter how much people have been told, you don't need to collect three pieces. Of, you still hear people talk about sort of, the the tick box and everything like that i need i need to have this evidence and actually it's not like that at all um, let's hope so. there's going to be a fresh start and we all look at, at the programs of study um in the way that they've been written i firmly mm. believe they're on the whole pretty um wide ranging and we'll take tackle each area of learning um one at a time i think for this podcast but really a summary is that they, they kind of seem okay to me <laughs> I tentatively say that because I know there's lots of discussion on the internet and Twitter and everywhere else about the ELGs themselves and how disappointing some of those were. But as I say, if we just focus on the educational <coughs> programmes, I think we'll probably, with the exception of possibly one, really um, come to the conclusion that really we can do what we like pretty much within those parameters and none of it is detrimental to, to the children or how we've been working with early years children for the last few years really. Yeah. So should we have a look at the communication language one then? I mean, the response summary said that a recurring view was that the emphasis on language and vocabulary development was, was generally welcomed, um, although there were other concerns that elements were too advanced and so on. Um, so the result in that was that there were no changes in the proposals, were there? They just kept it almost exactly, I think, as, as it was around the whole area of spoken language underpinning everything else. And I think it's really good that, you know, they're pushing for this language rich environment um, because quite often 
people think, I, well, I don't know if it's quite often, but a lot of people think it's more of a, a school thing, you know, to have this language rich environment, especially for packaway settings. You know, it's very difficult for a packaway setting to have a, a language rich environment in the way that you can have displays up and things like that. But it doesn't just focus on the displays here. It, it talks about the, the good quality interactions between the children and the adults. Um, and this is something that I've seen come up in lots of conversations all over the place. Um, so especially with people who are maybe coming to early years for the first time, it's like, how different is it to speak to an early years child when, when you're used to dealing with an older child? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, yeah. and to me, actually, you don't need to dumb down when you're talking to a, mm-hmm. an earlier child. I, I remember someone saying to me, if, if a, a child can spell and say the names of all the dinosaurs, they're quite capable of understanding some more complex things about reading and things like that. And that's our role, isn't it? To introduce new vocabulary. And if they look puzzled, we use that new word in, in several different ways. And then we explain what it is and then we use it in different ways. Um, that's our job. I, I really appreciate what you're saying there, Ben, about not dumbing down things. It, we're not speaking motherese to these children now. You know, that's no. when they're really tiny tots at home with their parents. We, that's not our role. Our role is to expand their vocabulary um, through really quality interactions. I really liked some of the, the, the phrases that were used in this um, programme here for communication and language. I like that phrase, back and forth interactions. And from an early age, I love that idea. That really raised the bar of the fact that this happens from birth and just everything that you do those early conversations those noises that you make back and forth with a baby the mimicking that the baby does back to you and you do back to them that's all communication and language and and it's really important to have that spoken about in this program so that it's highlighted and becomes part of what we do and really respected um so i really like that um and I also really like the lovely phrase echoing back when you're talking about adding vocabulary. So you echo back what the child has said to you and just carefully and cleverly slot in a little extra cool word um, just to help them build that vocabulary as they're going along. I, love I think that. that, yeah, and that was something you, I've seen in one of the infographics that you, you did recently. It was that building up that, that it was a whole activity based around that. And it was, I really liked how you started it to sort of keep it simple. It's like a car and then a blue car and a blue yeah. car going fast. And a big blue car going fast. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Yeah. And you're just like... building. It's just, just the building blocks, isn't it? And I think for me, the one, the one thing that I would say about this, um, the communication and language, perhaps was that all of that that we've just talked about and those everyday interactions and that back and forth and that echoing and that adding also needs to be happening at home. Mm. It's almost as though it, it must happen at home as well as in, in the setting in order for that rich language to, to keep going and keep being embedded. And it would, I would have quite liked to have seen something about parental engagement in this particular one because that just feels to me just so important. And I know this is for settings and for educators to use, but something around that link in this one in particular in particular would have been really great just because it's just it's what parents do as well they do it all the time and they may not realize how important that is especially as you mentioned for babies we've seen so many clips on youtube and so on of a a parent 
facing a baby and just copying their facial expressions or the, the little sounds that they're making that backwards and forwards interaction again um, with meaningless um, you know, sounds mm. at the moment um, are so important. So you're right. You know, some parents do that instinctively and don't actually know how important that is to do that. Mm. And it, it goes back to what early years is all about. It's about everyone working around the individual child. And it's not just a setting thing. That's, you know, home and settings. Yeah. So it just takes it all back to that again, really. Absolutely. <clears throat> so the second half of that, um, of the programme talks about reading. Well, no one's going to argue about how reading frequently to children in, and engaging them in actively in stories and so on is is not essential. Um, providing them with extensive opportunities to use and embed new words. We've talked about that now in a range of contexts. So there's nothing there to complain about. I don't think we've been doing that in early years for donkey's years um, and through conversation and storytelling and role play and all those things about using language. It's a pretty good program, really. I don't, I think that gives us such scope to, to be able to devise our own early years curricula in exciting ways. Well, I think that well. Go on, go on, Jules. Sorry, but I was just going to say that bit um, also includes a lovely phrase, share their ideas, meaning the children share their ideas. And it's just that idea that the children, again, at whatever age can kind of lead the conversation and lead the language development in the topics and the interests of their own. Um, and I thought that was a really important phrase to have in there. Yeah. yeah and, and I was going to say about the, the sensitive questioning Sort of the, it says uh, sensitive questioning that invites them to elaborate. Uh, children become comfortable using a rich range of vocabulary. Well, to me, you know, um, it goes back to, I think I spoke before about um, what Julie Fisher talked about, the wait, watch and wonder. Sort of don't just bowl in with your ideas and questions and, you know, actually take the time before you go over there sort of respect their space listen to what they're doing and then think about what you're going to add to them and i remember at university having bloom's taxonomy drummed into me and always thinking what was this all of that actually do you know what? when you think about it now um, on reflection this is the ideal time for it to you know for you to refer back to that what are the challenging questions you're going to ask that child um you know, even if you have to approach the questioning many different ways before they, they actually start to think about it, I think that's a really important thing for that, that I've got out from this, this statement. Absolutely. And that sensitive questioning is not saying how many pigs have you put in the farm and how many of this and can, that kind of constant demanding mm. the correct answer all the time. <laughs> Um, I think you're absolutely right. That sense, that word "sensitive" has has changed that whole phrase, hasn't it? Mm. To to the best, to better. I hope. Yeah. Okay. Should we move on to personal, social, emotional? Yeah. yeah. Um, the response summary said that some views stated that PSED should underpin all other areas of learning. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. Views were mixed on whether health and self-care should be included in PSED or physical. You can go backwards and forwards ad infinitum with, with those choices. Some respondents said that PSED should be given greater importance than communication and language and more emphasis is needed on the links to the characteristics of effective teaching and learning. So the result was that there was uh, additional information on self-care and healthy eating added into that area of learning. So 
not much has changed, but it did say uh, PSED, crucial for children to lead healthy and happy lives. Yes. Fundamental to their cognitive development. Yes. Underpinning their personal development are the important attachments that shape their social world. Interestingly, I will give a nod to one of the ELGs. In, in this program, saying underpinning their personal development are the important attachments is great. The ELG seems to put the onus, as we mentioned in a previous <laughs> podcast, on the child making those attachments, which we think is totally wrong, don't we? And that it's the, the adults that are the ones that are trying to get the children um, yeah. sensitively attached. And I think that is it. I mean, the... The program really does, I think it develops it for the child. It gives the, the setting a chance or the practitioners the chance to develop it from an early age all the way through early years. Whereas the ELG, it, it kind of narrows it for reception teachers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, before school, they're going to have all these amazing opportunities and um, adults are going to be able to work with the children and, amazing different ways but then for a reception teacher it's going to have to work to these elgs at the end of the day it suddenly becomes very narrowed um, and that's that's a worrying side of it but yeah. as you say that's not part of the program i think you're right because i think the program has a little bit more of a sense of, of the fact that some of these things are life lessons mm. not just life lessons but the but life lessons that you learn throughout the whole of your life they don't just stop at the end of reception I'm still learning how to manage my feelings and emotions, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'll be all. all, exactly. So it's just that it is, it is a continuous thing. Um, and these, these young children, yes, of course, it needs to be included in all of these things, and it is, and the, and the, and the programme shows that. But these are lessons that you learn throughout your whole life. They don't just stop at the end of a something, a phase. Mm. Absolutely. And I do like the fact that they've put healthy eating in there um, because it, again, it takes you back to that whole working around the child thing and the homeschool link or the home setting link. You know, it's that a lot of, I've seen a lot of posts on social media where they're like, well, I don't need the government to tell me how to do that and all this lot. But you know, that the evidence is that, there are some families that need that support. And I think by having this sort of emphasis around the child, I think that's really important um, because if that can help develop everything for the child at home and at the setting, then it's, it's a really positive move. They develop those really healthy habits. What, mm. what, what keeps them healthy, yeah. right, from food to exercise to rest and sleep and so on. They need to know this stuff, don't they? <laughs> so yeah. The earlier we can encourage them to learn about it, the better. I think this PSED one has a real, has a real leaning towards that healthy habits concept, mm. doesn't it? I think that, that's kind of what they're trying to embed here. That's what it feels like. And I, I notice here and in the physical development one, which we'll come on to in a minute, there's, there's a lot of um, emphasis on mental health and well-being and the word happy crops up a lot, mm. which is really good and really positive. And it shows um, the kind of acknowledgement of what's happening in our society at the moment for our children. Mental health is a big issue. Um, so it's a kind of a, a, an inclusion of that and how we can help right from a young age. Um, you can really see some lovely kind of mind, body and soul curriculums coming out of this, I think from birth to five 
and beyond hopefully mm. but you know in our early years but I really think you could you could really create something lovely out of PSED here and in fact tying in physical development yeah, you could I see agree. some lovely curriculums being built. I particularly welcomed the absence of the word behaviour management in this section, really. Um, my big worry was that it was going to be all about getting children to behave and that that was the most important thing. So it's really refreshing to see that that's not even mentioned. I don't think I'm just going to quickly scan it again. No, no I don't think it is. It's not, it's not mentioned. It's talking about children having happy, supportive relationships, good relationships with adults and children, resolving conflicts peaceably, all the things that we want for our children children without instilling discipline and expecting you know perfect behavior all the time so I was really pleased to, uh, to see the absence of that really I thought there were some nice balances like that fra- there's a phrase in it that says um, um support children to persist and wait for what they want so that idea that you've got to be tenacious <laughs> and dedicated but you've also got to be patient and I thought that was a really lovely phrase. You, you kind of do need to be both in life and that's okay, you know. And to again, to, to recognise that in the programme was really good. And I think that's going to be a massive um, challenge for a lot of people in settings in September. If you've got children coming back to you who haven't been away from their parents since March, all of a sudden to be in a room where there's possibly 30 children sort of around or 29 other children around you, and only maybe one or two adults who can't sort of jump to your every demand and everything like that. <laughs> it, it, those skills are going to be really important to teach um, across all settings. Yeah, they're not going to understand why their no. um, issues are not being dealt with immediately, mm. are they? Some, some children. Yeah. yeah, good point. Okay, shall we move on to physical Physical, yeah. Sorry? I mean... Shall I say this? Yeah, the response yeah. to this one was um, a consistent yeah. view for this educational program was the summary was too short. Um, other views expressed that greater information is needed on the links between gross and fine motor skills and the development of these from birth to reception. So I think it's really good that they're, they're looking to expand the links between the gross and the fine motor skills. Um, the only thing that really jumped out to me was the examples that they gave. Um, I just thought that it, these could be seen by some settings that, you know, these are the only ways that you can do it because this is what it says in the program. So it, it says, you know, play with small world activities, puzzle arts and crafts and the practice of using small tools. But actually when you look at what settings and practitioners are doing, there are so many different ways that, you can achieve all this um, in a really creative way. And I hope that people don't think that they can't do that anymore just because of sort of it says in the program, these things. We absolutely don't want to see this turned into a tick list. Do we no. We just off only the ones that are listed mm. here? It, you know, we must use this as giving us scope to be inventive and creative. I think. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree. Separating, um, making the links between gross and, and fine motor is essential, really, isn't it? It was very hard to imagine a child um, using one without the other yeah. disabilities. Um, so you have to make those links. Mm. And again, you've got that, that concept of happy. So the phrase is to pursue happy, healthy and active lives. So again, you kind of link that back round to PSED. And the two kind of really slot together. And I know there's been a lot of debate around 
whether that's a good thing or not and taking out healthy eating from one and putting it in the other and but actually if you link the two together again you come back to that kind of mind body and soul idea and actually you could have a real richness going on here which could be really positive um, and I, I thought linking happy into the active part was really good mm. yeah. and similarly um, outdoors and indoors is mentioned specifically as well isn't it somewhere uh, for play both indoors and outdoors so always essential to get both in there yeah I think um, something I've seen on the, the tapestry uh, Instagram page recently sort of the getting outside and climbing up trees and things like that <laughs> You're yeah. again now. Yeah, the, cl- the climbing up trees thing is amazing. <laughs> so. so it looks like at this stage, three out of three get the thumbs up from the education team, I reckon. Yeah. Okay, let's carry on then. <laughs> Literacy. We're getting into dodgy ground, are we? Or are we still okay? The response summary was a consistent view. That's something else I wanted to mention. <laughs> no. It says at the beginning of the doc, you know what's coming, don't you? At the beginning of the document, it said this was a qualitative, not quantitative summary, and we'll use words such as the common view, most people, some. Well, they had to know the numbers then to be able to use those words, I would imagine. So saying a consistent view, they must have had some figures to think. More than 50% of people yeah. um, had the view. But anyway, that's an aside. Yeah. <laughs> it's a whole podcast on that one. consistent <laughs> view was that the inclusion of a love of reading and the educational programme is a welcome addition. Yeah, I totally, I know. So, so crucial. Mm. Um, central theme suggested that more information is required for children's learning in pre-reception settings. Yeah, I'd agree with that. For instance, language development and concern over the advanced level of development required for some children. Um, and other views expressed that the educational programme features appropriate links with year one. So the conclusion, the result, was that literacy will include a stronger emphasis on pre-reception literacy learning and the link between comprehension and later reading and writing. So some of the views were taken forward, looks like. Um, So let's have a look at the actual Mm. programme. First sentence, it's crucial for children to develop a lifelong love of reading. There couldn't be a better first statement, I don't think, the literacy section. And I love the inclusion of lifelong there as well. Just the whole sentence is just great, isn't it? Um, and reading consists of two dimensions, language comprehension and word reading. The other thing that I was quite pleased to not see there is the specific mention of phonics. I know this is a whole other series of podcasts on phonics. We could carry on forever. But the fact that it wasn't specifically mentioned there, I think, is, is really giving us scope to use a wide variety of methods. Yeah, I, I thought exactly the same thing. Yeah. Um, and I thought, you know, thought back to certain nurseries and school nurseries that I've seen sort of when the nursery age children are sat down for 20 minutes doing a phonics session with the idea that they become school ready I think you know you're walking into so many problems there um it's not to me it's not the way to get them school ready that's not what school ready is um and it doesn't help them with their phonics so as you say not having that that phrase phonics or that word phonics in there it just gives the scope so much to be more creative absolutely i thought they've gone jules sorry helen i was just going to say i thought there was a really a nice link 
in that section with communication and language program as opposed to with phonics. And I thought that was really, really positive, that it actually kind of felt like it was going to the communication and language direction, um, which, you know, links back to that whole back and forth, the echoing, all those lovely phrases that were in the communication and language program we just talked about. I thought there was a lot of rounded linking with that here. And, of course, language is lifelong learning too. I still learn new words, (laughs) you know, and it's great and it's really fun. And... It just, I felt that was a really positive tie-in. Definitely. Mm. And I like the phrase skilled word reading taught later. I mean, don't forget that this no. is an EYFS program of study. So it's not saying skilled word reading is taught in reception. It's saying taught later. So again, I think that gives EYFS teachers and practitioners scope for not feeling so pressured um, to teach phonics and reading too early. The children have got to be ready for that stage. Definitely, yeah. Um, and, you know, it does point very heavily towards phonics. You know, it mentions decoding, it mentions speedy recognition, but that's fine. You know, it doesn't specifically say it because, like we just said, there's different ways to approach it and yeah. it's those building blocks as well. By not having that word in, it just gives people a bit more freedom, I think. Not that I'm knocking phonics, I want to no, make that clear. It has its place, but it's just this overemphasis was the thing mm. I was most worried about. So it's really, really good to see that. I think phonics is an amazing tool for, to help children to learn to read, but it's not the only tool that they can use. And that's, I mean, that's the worrying trend that I've seen is that people seem to think it's the only way, but I've seen it also not work for some children. And but unless you're willing to try other things, those children are going to struggle. Otherwise, everyone would be fluent readers because yeah. when I was at school, phonics was the only thing that was taught. <laughs> so, you know, there are lots of people in my generation who have difficulty reading, mm. so it didn't work for everybody. <laughs> okay, so we four out of four. The going's going well. Okay, on to maths. Uh, right, the response summary said essential theme was that the focus on children developing a greater depth of understanding number from zero to ten has important benefits, particularly as children move to year one. So that whole focus on up to ten. And another central theme was the greater focus on shapes, space and measures. Again, that's been rife in, in the media and the earlier sector. Um, I'm not sure that's entirely true. A central theme almost certainly was to put back the ELG for shape, space and measure um, because it was already in the areas of the programmes of study, I think. So um, I wouldn't agree with the fact that it said a greater need for a greater focus on shape. It's always been there. We just didn't want the ELG to disappear. But again, I digress into the ELG realm. Um, So the result was that maths will include a greater detail on the importance of shapes, spatial reasoning and measure as part of the early maths learning and how children can foster a love of maths. So how did they do? Well, yeah, I think it is good to see them talk about a bit more shape, space and measure. Um, And I think, you know, I can also see how it does gear towards year one still. Uh, Talks about 10 frames and things like that. Mm. But actually... I've, I've used 10 frames in reception 
and it does help the children understand things. So again, though, it's about when it's appropriate to bring them in. You know, you don't bring them in it when they're two or three years old because that won't help them so much. There might be some children where it does, but the majority of the children it won't help them. But in reception, it's completely appropriate. I like that word, um, manipulatives. That's so important, mm. isn't it? When children are learning those very early math skills to move stuff about and arrange them in different ways and count them in different ways and divide them in different ways. Um, they have to have a, a real grounding of actually you know, playing with real things. Well, I know at my old school, um, there was a massive investment in resources for all year groups, including up to year six. And they were out all the time uh, when the children were doing maths, because actually it's not just in early years where they need that. It's all whenever they're coming across different things, if they need those physical things to move to help make sense of it, actually have them. Um, and it's not, you're not struggling if you're using them, actually you're developing your thoughts and it, it goes back to using play to help understand things you know if that's how you want to see it using resources like having play then see it like that i think that's the key thing ben isn't it because they talk about by providing frequent and varied opportunities to build and apply this understanding and then it's after that that they talk about manipulatives and 10 frames and all this kind of thing and I think it's going to be up to the educators to remember that that needs to include the apply part is through play experiences mm. because the early years is the complete and utter perfect place to apply your maths, yes. isn't it? Because you just got so many opportunities to, to play and apply at the same time. Which um, isn't counting how many pigs you've got in your farm. <laughs> no, exactly. So it's just, they're going to have to find that balance between maths not becoming too taught um, not a taught thing it is a taught thing and then they need to go and problem solve that play with that explore with that find that balance um, I think that's going to be really really important the, the other thing I really liked was that have a go talk to adults and peers about what they notice and not be afraid to make mistakes because to me maths is all about investigation it's all about having a go, having a look at what you can do, um, what works, what doesn't work, what makes sense and everything like that. So to me, it's, you know, that's a brilliant thing to include in it. Totally. And it's about being confident maths, isn't it? I, in my experience, you know, if, if you're quite confident with maths, then you're probably more likely to just dive in and get a result in some form or another. And that's all about having a go and not being afraid to make mistakes having the confidence to do isn't it it's not just the right mm. and wrong answers it's it's playful it's mm. pattern creation it, it's yeah. exciting if you do i do yeah exactly i do think the way that we talk about maths is very very interesting and that kind of um came across to me in the in the programs as a whole if you compare the way that literacy is spoken about in the literacy program and maths is spoken about in the maths program in literacy they talk about that lovely phrase a lifelong love of reading in the maths they don't say a lifelong love of maths which i think is really interesting they talk about excel and mastery um important point which is just really i just think it's fascinating what i found really interesting was when they talk through the responses that they had, they do use the phrase foster a love of maths. That's, that's what they then hope to bring into the programme. But then they don't use that phrase love of maths within the programme itself. Mm. Lifelong love of maths. Which I sort of felt 
was a little bit of a shame because I thought that that would be brilliant. Yeah. 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 And it goes back to things people are quite happy to say, oh, I was never any good at maths at school. But you don't hear very, very many people say, oh, I was never good at reading or I wasn't very good at English at school. And it's yeah. that mindset, isn't it? It's, it's okay to be rubbish at maths. It's, can't uh, it. Can't it. When I was an advisory teacher, um, I went to a local setting and they were uh, a complete overhaul. They had a failed Ofsted and uh, some staff left. We had new staff, new areas, buying new equipment. And the only way I felt I could help initially was to assign each area of learning to one of the staff members and I remember one saying I'll do anything but don't give me maths and I specifically chose her to do maths precisely because that's what she'd said so she I wasn't very popular for the first couple of weeks (laughs) actually grew to love it once I gave her the scope of you know here are all the books tell me what you want to order we had a great budget which is really rare now um she just went bonkers on community play things, role play stuff, filled it with really beautiful quality maths manipulatives, use that word again, um, and games and so on. And she just blossomed. It was so lovely to see. So giving someone the scope to really learn about the programmes of study, read some great books on what numeracy and space and shape looks like in the early years. She really developed her expertise. Um, so there's one additional person I'd like to think out there in the early years world <laughs> who is fighting for the fact that maths can be fun and, and really interesting to be. And as you said, Helen, just really creative. It's a really creative subject. And I, and I am not a mathematician. It's not, it's not my area of expertise, I'll be super honest. But I can completely see that it is a super creative and imaginative subject. Yeah. If you're allowed to play with it, yeah. which again is where early years is the completely perfect place for it. Yeah. So we're up to five out of five. And we move on to understanding the world and it all goes through the door. Yeah, I don't know where to start with this. The response summary was very short. It just said a central theme was a concern that technology was missing. And other recurring views from respondents suggest the need for more experience-based activities. Boy, would I like to know what the figures are there. When it says mm. other recurring views, I, I, would, I would hazard a guess that there were thousands of recurring views from respondents. It's just so disappointing. There's no science there at all. It's dry. Back to, you know, if science can't be exciting, I don't know what is. It's... There's no practical investigative science here. Every, every scientist you meet would say that you learn science by doing, not by listening to stories about it. And all we've got here, apart from the visits um, and having visits in, I pity all those police officers and nurses and firefighters are now going to be <laughs> forced through the doors to visit their earlier settings. Um, it's just about books. I mean, who? And maps. <laughs> Maps. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's in the ELG, isn't it? Yeah. Maps. Oh, it's so true, isn't it? Because it just says, in addition, listening to a broad selection of stories, non-fiction rhymes and poems will foster their understanding of our culturally, socially, technologically and ecologically diverse world. Well, those phrases are great, culturally, socially, technologically and ecologically diverse world. But this very passive listening to a broad selection of... Mm. This listening, you know, where's the doing? 
Yeah. And they're getting technology through a book. I, I, yummy. And it, it also goes against this whole cultural capital thing that they, you know, they were pushing for. You know, has that gone out the window where you know everyone was supposed to go out on trips and go out and meet people from all different walks of life and go to different shops and see what they sell? And but you just look at a book then instead. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's quite. Yeah, it's quite sad. I think it really is. If you look at the curriculum for excellence in Scotland, I've been looking at that recently for early years, and that is full of references to using the senses to explore our world. I mean, the previous guidance was all about children using their senses because that's how they explore the world and investigative activities. I'm really concerned that these um, exciting activities that really grab young children's attention will be lost in the early years. Mm. They're not mentioned here at all. Gradually, my fear is that people will just stop doing them because they're not written in the programme. It's Again, it's in the early learning goals, but we're looking at stuff that people for, you know, working with children from birth to four before they go off to reception are going to be looking at and planning their curriculum. And there's nothing there about mixing potions and goo or cooking, changes of state and making sponge cakes and all that kind of stuff. None of it is there. So sad. Mm. And also this is an area of the curriculum that we really need very small people who are going to grow up so they need to start understanding and caring and being passionate about it from zero as they grow up because we need these citizens and they're going to need for themselves to be climate aware passionate about different cultures you know and totally understanding technology and how it can benefit us and also the dangers and and the safety aspects around it you know we, we really need to immerse our small children in all of that as much as all the other parts of the curriculum. This is a really key part of, of creating, you know, positive and hopeful citizens for the future, isn't it? Yeah, and where you see all the resources and money being pumped into STEM subjects mm-hmm. in secondary school, we need them to be really keen on this stuff when they're three, four and five. Mm-hmm. So they're not turned off yeah. by it later life or they choose actively choose those subjects and also you know it's all very well saying about having as you said about police officers nurses and firefighters um i know around where i live the the school's person that visitor officer she was taken off that she was told she wasn't allowed to go into primary schools anymore she was only allowed to go into um secondary schools and you know she still came to see us uh, in early years because she realised the importance, but it wasn't during her job hour, her work hours. No, really. Um, oh, time. Yeah, because that's the you know that that's the funding of it now. It's the the funding isn't there for them to do that. So <laughs> if you've got the program saying one thing, but then the police force or whatever saying other reality. things, yeah, the reality, yeah. Yeah. I think the nurses are going to be pretty busy for the foreseeable yeah. class. I <laughs> turning up for, for quite some time. Mm. Yeah, so to summarise, I'm just so disappointed in that one. That is just no on so many levels. Yeah. Real, a real shame, a real missed opportunity there mm. to, to put us in the lead with science mm. and technology subjects. Mm. 
Um, so moving on to last one, expressive arts and design. So the response summary said, some, back to that some, respondents express need for a greater focus on children's freedom of expression, <laughs> that imagination and other creative or artistic activities. And in addition, there were other views on the need for further guidance on activities which support this programme. And the result was that expressive arts and design will include a wider variety of ways children can develop their creative skills. A bit vague, but <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so the programme itself starts off the development of, our, of children's artistic and cultural awareness, supports their imagination and creativity. Yes, I don't think we disagree mm -hmm. with that. Um, it's important that children have regular opportunities to engage with the arts, enabling them to explore and play with a wide range of media materials. Again, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just not very inspiring, is it? It's just no. Get all this stuff out and just do something with it. Yeah, I need a bit more excitement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it does... I've gone, Jules. I was just going to say, it does... I guess it, it kind, of, kind of touches on the senses. So it talks about here respond to and observe or see hear and participate two different places um but it also doesn't really unpack anything at all in any way to give you as you said helen any inspiration or, or creative it talks about the arts and i thought it might have been quite nice to have had that unpacked a bit more yeah yeah what what are the arts and where yeah. where are they and what could they be yeah absolutely yeah and the thing that got me as well was the frequency repetition and depth of their experiences are fundamental does this mean that they're going to have to have like a weekly art session or a weekly music session and things like that is that you know and that's the only time they can cover this stuff mm, that's a bit worrying isn't it dragging the specialist music teacher for a couple of sing songs and yeah throwing tambourines around for a bit and then you've done music for the week yeah exactly, yeah really worries yeah. me mm. i used to love like I, I was never very popular but when i used to get like the drums <laughs> uh, the drums out or you know and i wouldn't put them away um just so that they were always there and you'd always have children going up to them and i remember yeah. we had these big barrels for climbing on um outside and we used to just play the drums on that and sort of experiment where you could hit different parts of that to make different sounds and it's just everything to use things like that it's, uh... i'd love to have seen some links between the areas of learning really i mean we all know, mm. we mm. know that maths are so closely linked um it would have been really nice to see little nods to that really that it's not it, they're not subjects to, to be divided and further divided into you know okay right music is singing so we do that mm. on a monday morning and then dance is something else so we'll do that on a wednesday afternoon and drama is something else it, it, they're all encompassing aren't they i can imagine sessions in my own nursery where the children were doing all of those things all at the same time yeah and, um, and it's so crucial for that kind of cross-curricular stuff mm. in the areas it just seemed to be divisive really mm. something that really struck me and actually it was the expressive arts and design program that made me look was i was like well, there's, there's only one mention of imagination in that programme, in expressive arts and design. So then I looked to see whether there was a mention of imagination anywhere else in any of the other programmes, and there isn't. Mm. As far as I could see, there's a, that's the only mention of imagination. Mm. And I just thought, that's interesting. 
so taken separately they're all you know we've pretty we've given quite a lot of them some some really positive responses here but I just thought if it's only mentioned once and it's only in expressive arts and design you know again it's the educators are gonna and they will because that's what early years educators do they will bring their knowledge and their passion and their creativity and their own imagination to help the children's imaginations blossom. But that's going to come from the educators. Mm-hmm. It's not really written into these programmes in, in, in as much a way as it could have been, perhaps. Absolutely. I mean, although the, the subject's called expressive area of learning, is called expressive arts and design, there's no mention of design there, is there? About <laughs> designing and making things and then reviewing what you've made and deciding mm-hmm. what that work quite well so I'll change it Ooh, that, a, a play of wide range media and materials well it's not no. enough is it it's not no. enough but maybe that's the thing because if it's sufficiently vague we can do what we like yeah. <laughs> and be as creative as, as we possibly can that's what I did wonder I did think well that would mean you could just take it in any direction you wanted complete carte blanche you know <laughs> yeah which is good <laughs> So no particular problems. It's just a bit dull, really, isn't mm. it? Um, yeah. And there's no specific mention of music. And, of course, as you all know, I used to be the music yeah. teacher. I'm really, so that's a bit disappointing as well. We just hope that people all recognise that mm. the arts is a variety of different aspects. So in summary, we've got five that are good, one that's okay, and one that's utterly appalling in my <laughs> We should be like the Eurovision, giving them all No, go ahead, Jules. No, I just I just think it's interesting. I think I think a positive thing that I took away from all of them together, if you're thinking about the threads that weave through them, um I did think that the communication and language emphasis did feel like it was there, the everyday talk kind of emphasis. And the well-being sort of emphasis did feel like it ran through the programmes um, quite well, which I thought was very positive, both of those things. And and actually both of those things can run through an early years curriculum. Obviously, communication and language and well-being can run through everything that you do. So I took that as a positive. Yeah. And I, I, do, I do agree with the, the literacy aspects. Books are really important, but so is spoken language and story, mm. role play and rhymes and singing and all that kind of stuff, which is, is okay. It's all there, isn't it? Mm. So the things that are missing are the, the science and technology. Mm. Um, other than that, I think if I were in practice now, I think I could create a pretty exciting curriculum with this framework. Um, how about you, Ben? Do you wish you well, well, I think I think that is it. It's it is vague enough that actually you can go ahead and create that amazing creativity with the children, and you know, go with them. I think if it was too prescriptive, then you would run the risk of that. And there are slight parts of it which could possibly be taken that way, but actually, I, I think it's it's open enough that people will be able to go and you know and that's what as you said before that's exactly what practitioners do and that's what works yeah. in early years so it's great I don't think there's anything that, that teachers and practitioners were doing prior to this that they can't do now no okay thank you guys and thank you for listening if you'd uh, like to subscribe to our podcast so you get to hear them all please do thanks for listening bye